Well, as I like to encourage you all, I always like to encourage you to read the Word of God. And I encourage you to read Psalm 86, verse 11 this week. Really chew on that, especially the last part of that verse about what, what the psalmist is asking God to do for him. So I encourage you to read Psalm 86, verse 11 this week and to see how God speaks to you through his word. Let us go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, it, it is such great news to hear that your son is alive. God, we ask that right now, that as we have gathered here in person and gathered online and gathered in the other rooms, Lord, that you just remind us of your love, remind us of your peace, remind us of the hope that we have. Remind us how great you are and how completely unworthy we are of your love. And Lord, let that drive us to repentance. Let that drive us to trust in you. So Lord, as we look at you and see your beauty and majesty, the glory of what you have accomplished through Christ, let it reveal to us our sins. Let it reveal to us our struggles. Let it reveal to us all the things, Lord, that you sent your son to die for so we can cling to the cross and run joyfully in the resurrection of Christ so we can be filled with love and hope and peace to live out the faith consistently before you. Oh God, help us, Lord. Expose anything that would be hindering us. Expo calm our minds and calm our hearts. And let your Holy Spirit, let him just come in and just speak to us. Lord, he is the greatest teacher. He knows us. You know us so well, and you know exactly what we need to hear and how we need to hear it. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, as you know, Easter comes every year, as far as I know. <laughs> and every year... Many hear about how Christ has risen bodily from the grave to never die again. Every year the message is about how Christ has conquered the power of sin and death. Every year you hear about how Christ has paid for our sin through the cross and the resurrection is proof that it happened. Every year you hear that Christ is now alive in, in heaven and his new body reigning over this earth to give salvation and eternal life and the promise of a bodily resurrection like his if we just have faith in him alone. And sadly, it is very, very easy to treat these amazing accomplishments of Christ and these extraordinary promises of Christ given by him just as common things we expect every Easter Sunday. In a world that is so full of vain distractions and futile urgencies, it is easy to take Easter for granted and not be filled with astonishment and marvel over what has happened over 2,000 years ago. For this one event has changed the world. It has flipped it upside down to never be the same again. 
The resurrection of Christ has done something that has never happened before. The resurrection has provided the very thing that this world needs and cannot produce. The resurrection has provided true power of hope. So as Christians, we should never take Easter for granted. For truly, how we view Easter, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, what we think about Easter will be reflected in our lives. If Easter is just viewed as a common day amongst the rest, then our lives will just be seen as common amongst the rest in this hopeless, lost world. But if Easter is viewed as a powerful day of of hope, a day that we we live in and, and a day that we think upon and dwell upon through faith in Christ and live in all the promises that it gives, then our lives will be ones of hope. The hope will be seen in how we live. Our lives will no longer be common in a hopeless, lost world. We will be a people who, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, we will be a people who are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. Easter. The resurrection of Jesus happened to give us true hope in this hopeless world. Easter is not just a day to be with family, as good as that is. Or maybe for some, they're like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Not looking forward to this day. Easter is not just a day to enjoy all the bright colors and and great singing. (laughs) Great singing, yeah, that's right. I'm good at that, singing. As good as, as these bright colors and things may be. Easter is a day that reminds us of the hope we have in Jesus. So in light of it being Easter, I want, as our title says... I want us to appreciate the hope of the resurrection. To never treat it as common. And to not just think of Easter Sunday as just another day. And to help us with that, I would like to briefly, and I mean briefly, there's a lot in this text, briefly look over Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. I know we read through 11, but we're only going to look at 6 through 10. To help us really see What has has happened over 2,000 years ago was no common thing, no common event, but truly something extraordinary. So let's read Romans chapter 5, verse 6, where it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now Easter is all about the resurrection of Jesus, right? How the tomb was empty. But to really appreciate Jesus coming back to life fully in bodily form, we have to know why he died. And this brings us to our first point. To appreciate the hope of the resurrection, we need to 
do it by knowing why it happened in the first place. Be reminded of it. So the apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, by the way, makes something very clear within this particular text that we just kind of read. He becomes very specific about you and I, and even himself, which is why he says we at the beginning of verse 6. Paul points out that Christ came to this earth with a mission directed towards weak people. Not weak as in like, bro, you need to get some gains in those legs and arms. Not weak like that. But weak people who were unable to do anything pleasing in God's sight. Weak people who were not able to find hope in themselves, but were helpless. People who were morally deficient. People who, as Jesus said, could not see the kingdom of God, nor enter the kingdom of God, as he said in John 3, 3 and 3, 5. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And to help us make sure that we understand how weak we are before God to clarify just exactly who Christ came for, which again includes you and I and himself, the author of the book, he describes us as ungodly. Ungodly meaning that we were a people who lived a life of not wanting anything, wanting nothing to do with God. We were people who were actually living against God, against his ways, doing everything we could that was the exact opposite of what Christ, of what God wanted us to do. People who, as 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 states, people who do not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, they are foolish, they are stupid to him. Paul is saying all, including all of us, including himself, at one time were defined as being un ungodly people before God. Not that some were ungodly and others were just weak. No, he's saying all of us were weak, ungodly people who opposed God. We were a godless people who did not, who did what we could to keep God out of our life so we could do whatever we want here on this earth because we thought and looked upon his laws, upon his ways as oppression. So Paul says, Jesus did something about that. He did something about us. He came to this earth to do something about this weakness and, and ungodliness before him. He came to do something that is incomprehensible. He came to do something that's so backwards. Something that does not make sense in this world. Christ did not come to destroy us. I mean, that's what you would expect, right? If we are ungodly and living in opposition to him... You would expect him to come and remove and eradicate us. 
you would expect him to come and beat us up and be brutal in his judgment against us. I mean, what would you expect of when the creator of the world shows up in the flesh to the very world that rejects him? But that's not what he did for you and I, or the ungodly, the ungodly. But Paul says, rather, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us, the wicked. Christ came at the right moment in time. The, meaning that the time that God, out of his grace, appointed that would be the most effective for the world to see and come to know his son through faith. Through faith in what Christ, that Christ died upon the cross for the ungodly. Christ did not wait for us to clean up ourselves before him. Christ did not wait for us to have a change of heart towards him. Christ did not wait until we started to look to, into who he was. Christ did not die because there was something good within us to die for. He did not do it because we had, we had some type of inclination towards him. No, he came out of his grace to die for ungodly people who wanted nothing to do with him, that deserved nothing but death and destruction. But rather than giving them death and destruction, he came to give them life and hope. I know some of you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Aren't you just kind of being a little bit overdramatic up there? with about who Christ came to die for. I mean, were we really that bad? I mean, were we really that wicked, Jonathan? I mean, wasn't there something good or righteous within us that he would come and die for us? I mean, who gives their life for wicked people? That doesn't make sense. Paul's answer to you is kind of like, yeah, I know, right? Who does that? It's unheard of for someone to die to save wicked people, let alone those people wanting nothing to do with the one dying for them. I mean, what type of person does that? <laughs> I wouldn't. I'd be like, sorry, brother, you're on your own. So Paul says, so Basically, in verse 7, Paul is dialoguing with you in agreement to the perplexity of what Christ did for ungodly people when he says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would even dare to die. Paul says it would be really hard to find someone to die for a righteous person. Uh, a righteous person in this context doesn't mean that someone's righteous in the sense perfect before God, but righteous according to human standards. So it would be rare and we would be hard-pressed to find someone to give up their life for someone who was, in some sense, better or morally superior to them. He says you're more likely to find someone who would give up their life for someone who was a good person, meaning that someone they cared about, even though they weren't perfect, but because of some relationship, some kindness that was shown to them, 
It's more likely for someone to give up their life for someone like that. Paul's basically, basically saying that when we hear of people giving up their life for someone, or even when we think about the thought of someone giving up their life for another, it's always in the context that there was something in that person worth dying for. It's rare to hear people of dying for others, but it's always in the context of the other person being worthy of their death so that they can benefit from their death. Yet this very example that Paul speaks of here in verse 7, Paul is saying that you and I and himself, we don't fit that description before God. We were not a righteous person. We were not a good person to even think about dying for, uh, dying for in the sight of God. That's the point. The whole point of verse saying is saying that Jesus did not come and die for people who had something good within them or were worth dying for. Because before God, he says in verse 6, there are no righteous people, no one good enough, no one, no one right enough. For him to die for. For all were ungodly before him. And you may be thinking, wait, are you, are you revealing that Paul is saying that God did not have to save me? There was nothing in me worth saving? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. You and I have no claim upon God for him to save us. He could have left us in our misery. He would have been perfectly just in just letting us go straight to the eternal hell because of our sins. Perfectly fine. That's what Paul is getting at here. We were hopeless in a hopeless world who deserved nothing of God but his wrath. We might say, well, why on earth did, did he say, God save us then? Why did Christ come? If we were that bad, Jonathan, and there was nothing good in us, why on earth did he come to this earth to save us by dying for us, to give us freedom, to give us forgiveness, to give us salvation, and to give us hope? That doesn't make sense. I mean, if that's true, it's quite shocking and breathtaking to understand that there was nothing within us worthy of saving. And that's hard to comprehend. I guess you could put it on a birthday car. I don't know how that would fly. Happy birthday. You're not worth saving. <laughs> but that's what Paul is saying here in these verses. These two verses. So Paul then answers this question of like, well, why did he do this? Why? He answered the question of why Christ came. And the answer that he gives, at least for me, for me, melts my brain. It makes all the rubber bands that are keeping my mind together snap. All the gray cells, gone. But at the same time, it fills my heart with an overwhelming joy and hope. Paul says in verse 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It was purely out of his love that God saved us. 
God loves sinners. And that's why, he, that's why they become saved. God loved you and me when we did not love him. That is why we are saved. God sent his son so we could be saved through faith in him even while you and I were fighting against him. God sent his son to save the ungodly because God loves the ungodly. And if you think that's ludicrous, if you think, no, that's not true, well, that's what the cross proves. The cross shows the love that God has for sinners. That's why Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul did not say it was when we cleaned ourselves up or started to do the right things, then Christ came and died for us. No, it was while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came to live a perfect life in our behalf, to be our substitute, to fulfill God's righteous law, to be our representative, to pay our debt of sin by taking God's wrath in our place through faith in Him, all out of His gracious love over us, us sinners, the ungodly. Paul says God shows His love for us. The cross is God showing His love for sinners, people who don't even come close to His standard people who always miss the mark of what he requires. God came to save evil, ungodly people. Meaning that out of his graciousness, out of his love, God came to save the adulterers, the gossips, the terrorists, the liars, the envious, the racist, the slanderers, the sexually perverted, the fearful, the cowardly, the prideful, the murderers, the hateful, the wrathful, the unreasonable, the irrational, the abusive, the addicts, and the list can go on and on and on and on because Christ out of his gracious love came to save the ungodly sinners such as you and I. Christ came to save us. The very things that if people knew about you that would turn them away from you and want nothing to do with you even turn away those closest to you if they knew you. The sins that you have done could not and will not keep God's love from you. And the cross proves that. So if you're struggling with things like, is there hope for me? Does God really, does God really love me? Or does he still love me? I've done so much bad. Does God care? Does he even still care about me? Everyone else seems to be turning against me. Just look to the cross by faith in Christ. Just look to the cross. Remember Easter. Remember why today exists. Because it shows he dies. 
Remember that God sent his son because of his love for us. Not that God sent his son and then loved us. No, no. No, it was out of his gracious love for sinners, as Paul said in verse 8, that Christ came to die so we can be saved through faith in him alone. God's love is greater than your sin. So we celebrate Easter. We can be then filled with hope because, God's, because of God's undeserved love for you and me. Let us always then be refreshed by this amazing truth and appreciate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on this day. Paul then says in Romans 5, 9 through 10, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? And this leads us to our second and last point of how to appreciate the resurrection or the hope of the resurrection. It's by understanding the gracious benefits. The benefits you don't deserve, but you get. Paul states in verse 9 that through faith in Christ, we are legally justified before God. It was through his blood, his works on our behalf, that has earned our right standing with God. That we are now legally seen as just before God, because of Christ's finished work upon the cross that has atoned for our sins. Through his costly death, his blood that was shed, we have been made right with God through faith in him. That though this is a free gift that we get, that we receive through faith alone in Jesus, it was not without a price. It's not like just God ignored your sins. There's no justice in that. It's not like he just turned a blind eye. No, our sins were paid for, atoned for by a high price. And that price was fulfilled by God the Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. Justice was placed upon his head. For Christ took our wrath that we deserved of God because of our sin. So Christ stood as one declared guilty in our place, though he never sinned, so that we can be declared not guilty before God through faith in him, even though we're the ones that sin. What we have here is Paul saying in verse 9 for our context of being Easter, is that when we see Easter, we should see it as a reminder that Christ has taken all the wrath that we would ever deserve because of our sins. So we no longer need to live in fear. We no longer need to live in fear of God's anger looming over us or that God's hammer of justice will come crashing down upon us once we die because it went upon Christ in our place through faith in him. No, Easter says that Christ has taken the wrath for us upon the cross through faith in him alone so that now God only gives us his gracious love. There lies no punishment for us 
anymore in this life or the next. For Christ has taken all the punishment for us if we have faith in him. We no longer have to live in fear then of our failures and our sins and our mistakes. We can live as free people who trust in Christ alone, who are full of hope. But when we look to the cross, we can see and know that his gracious love is upon us and we get to look forward in greeting that love face to face when we die. So not only then is the wrath removed over us, Paul says, but he says in verse 10 that we have even more amazing benefits to look forward to in Christ right now. He says, do you realize that if God did all this, as he says in verse 10, while we were enemies, you were his enemy and he was your enemy. There was a war between man and God. And yes, we were going to lose that war. I promise you that. But God loved his enemies who were going to lose anyway by sending his son to die in their place so they can be reconciled with him. Meaning that God did all the work so that you could have peace with him and a proper relationship with him as his son or daughter so he can just lavish you with his love and sing over you as his son or daughter. God sent his son to reconcile you to become his family rather than his enemy through faith in Jesus. God did all of this prior to you wanting anything to do with him. And this reconciliation was accomplished, as he says in verse 10, by the death of his son. Much more, he says in verse 10, shall we be saved by his life. Or put differently now, now that Christ has been resurrected and completed the mission over you, you can't even imagine how absolutely precious you are now to God because you have faith in His Son. Now that you have faith, what on earth can we expect? Not because of anything we did or because of who we are, because we know what we are but because of what Christ has accomplished for us through faith in him. You are now someone who, as Ephesians 1.3 says, has been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. All because Christ is alive and well on your behalf through faith in him. So when we think of Easter, it means that the resurrected Christ is at work for you and I now, right now through faith in him. He's up there in heaven looking down upon you and me, knowing each of our names, knowing all of our circumstances, all of our problems, all of our failures and struggles and inconsistencies and stupidity. He knows it all. But because of faith in him, he is praying for us all to make sure we were all saved to the bitter end and nothing's going to stop that. As he says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. One mediator in his name is Jesus. Your greatest representative, his name is Jesus. Your greatest defender, his name is Jesus. The one who defends your honor and fights for your honor, his name is Jesus. 
because he is alive and he has conquered the power of sin and death, he, is, he has the absolute unmatched power to secure our salvation once and for all through faith in him and make sure God's love and favor never leaves us no matter what happens in this life. Because he is resurrected and alive and well, he is able to make good on his promises just as he said in John 14, 19. Because I live, you also will live. And this is what makes Easter so amazing. The fact that Christ is alive and can make good in all his promises. I can't even promise that I'm going to be alive two seconds from now. I can't make my heart beat. I can't keep my mind going. But Christ can. And this is what brings us hope. For Christ's blood has covered our whole life, our past, our present, our future sins. All has been forgiven. All of everything we have ever done, will do, has been forgiven through faith in Him. And He's now alive to make sure that nothing will ever get in the way of that. Not even death itself. Christ is alive to prove that He has done it all for us by faith in Him. And He is alive to prove that He can get us through it all by faith in Him. But when He said the words, it is finished... From the cross in John 19.30, he is alive right now up in heaven in his new body to make sure that those words are kept over us through faith in him. And that's what gives us hope. It is finished. That even with all of our mess-ups, all of our broken relationships, all of our stupidity, all of our woes, all of our not getting it just right and making more problems for ourselves, all of our sins that haunt us. There is hope for us because of our resurrected Savior through faith in Him has freed us. Or as one theologian, He has freed us from carrying the impossible burden of having to work your way into God's acceptance. Christ has done it all for you. That's why Easter is so hopeful. This is what makes the resurrection so hopeful to us. Because it proves that our debt has been paid in full. It proves that we are now by faith in Christ, only having the loving grace of the Lord upon us. And that will never leave us or ever be taken away from us because our Savior lives. This is the hope of Easter that we should never forget or treat as uncommon. For the resurrection is what gives our lives hope in this hopeless world. Happy Easter. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today thank you. Thanking you for the resurrection. Thanking you for the cross. Thanking you for Jesus. God, I pray right now if someone does not know you, that they do feel the wrath that they can look to Christ right now and come to know you right now to see that Jesus has done it all. That they can cling to the cross, laying down their crowns, saying, I have nothing but only faith. Faith in the Savior. Oh God, I pray you save that person right now who's having those struggles. That they will come to know you. <clears throat> 
Oh God, I also pray for those of us who have been struggling, especially this past year, who've been possibly feeling mundane, asking where is this going, what are, what's going on? Those who are living in fear, those who are living in, in anger, Lord, I pray all of us who have been having one trial after another in our life that we remember that if we have faith in you, it's never given out of your wrath. Nothing happens, but everything now works for our benefit because Christ is alive to work all things for our good, for those who love you. Help us, Lord, to be rejuvenated, to be refreshed by the gospel message, to be excited, to get out there and proclaim that the victory is won, that this earth has been defeated. Death and sin have no power. Help us remember that, Lord. If we're having sins that are haunting us, help us to just throw them down before the cross and to look to you. Help us, Lord, to remember these things, to know the glory of the resurrected Savior, that there is hope for us no matter what Satan or sin may say to us. We have hope because Christ has accomplished all and he has done everything for us and it's never been upon us. That when someone says, or we even our own heart condemns us and says, you're not good enough, we can say amen, but Christ was. Help us, Lord, remember that and to encourage one another in that. In Jesus' name.